You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey alongside George Bremer. It is cut day Tuesday, August 30th. The 4 o'clock Eastern deadline has come and gone. And now, George, for the most part, we have a, a pretty good sense. Some moves are still being made, but we have a pretty good sense of what this roster is going to look like for the 2022 season. I always kind of, it's always a good and bad day for me because obviously it's a sad day because there's plenty of guys that have worked really hard that have kind of become preseason darlings that you root for to make the team that all have their dreams fall shorter or get cut, unfortunately, have their careers end. That's obviously the negative. But the positives, too, is now we're, you know, a week and a half away from the season. We basically now know what the team is going to look at for the most part, and we could finally kind of start to project and look what this roster is going to be heading to the 22, uh, 2022 season. So it's like a mixed emotions, at least for me. But overall, now we at least have an idea and an identity of what the 2022 Colts are going to look like. It feels like the regular season's here, right? Like you yeah. get all the way through this, the preseason's done once you make that 53-man cut, and now the season's starting. I know it's still going to take some time to get used to that there's two weeks still there's a game still because in the past it was game week and it really was a regular season. But I think that's the, the excitement for me is that now you realize, okay, all the games that don't count are over. Everything from here on out, it, they're keeping score. Um, you know, the 2022 season is is here now. Football's back. It is back when we have uh, have the roster set. And we can, like I said, now it, it finally starts to feel like we can push kind of the meaningless games behind us and now start to look forward to the regular season and actually have meaningful football on the near horizon for sure. So we're going to start the pod, George, just like we thought we were going to start this pod last week and two weeks ago and three weeks ago, starting about what it, or talking about what is going to be the third string quarterback for the Colts, and that is Sam Ellinger. Right? We talked about one of the preseason darlings on offense. That was Sam. Had a tremendous preseason. All three uh, preseason games he played in, very strong showing. But the discussion was, are the Colts going to carry three quarterbacks? He's the developmental guy. He's still at least two years away from legitimately having a chance to, to win the job. The Colts decide, as of now, as of Tuesday at 4 o'clock, to put Sam Ellinger on the 53-man roster. Do you agree with the move, George? I really don't. I mean, ultimately, we talked about it last week, or, or even this week. We talked about it just a couple days ago. It's all running together for me now. Too much training camp. Uh <laughs> You know, he's not going to do anything this year. And that ultimately, that to me is what it comes down to. You've only got 53 spots. I know that there's inactive guys all the time, but they had some special teams woes. They definitely address those in ways that we'll talk about here in a little bit as well. And I'm sure they feel comfortable. They wouldn't do this if they felt like they were leaving themselves weak somewhere else. But I just personally, I wouldn't keep three quarterbacks. Um, I really think it comes down to, and I said this, you know, before we came on the air, I really think it's a reward kind of a situation. I think this is sending a message to the locker room that if you go through the offseason and you do all the right things, you put the work in the way that he did, you do everything that's asked of you, and then you go out and perform on the field, there's going to be a spot for you. And I think that from that standpoint, I guess it's a decent message to send to the locker room. Uh, but I just uh, personally, I wouldn't keep three quarterbacks. That's just me. 
I'm, I'm with you 100%. We both are in a group. We talked about it on, on Monday's pod, but leading into kind of previewing what cut day was going to look like, I don't see the point for a Colts team that's all in. Like Jim Mercer, remember after the season ended, all chips in. He was going all in on 2022. They were going to do everything possible to make the playoffs. Well, I don't see how keeping a third-string quarterback that is on a two-year development plan that is not going to be active on game days, that, again, if best-case scenario happens, George, he is not going to suit up at any point in 2022 or 2023. That means Matt Ryan stays healthy and plays well, and Nick Foles, if he's called upon, does an adequate job at the backup quarterback position. So we're talking about a guy where, best-case scenario for two years, he's not going to even dress and be on the active roster on game day. I don't see the benefit of that. And especially now, too, you, you mentioned it. The reason, if that's the case, if that was the Colts figuring, you know what, we he has done everything we asked, and we're going to reward him and kind of send a message to the locker room that we, if you do what we ask, and you know, we will show you good faith and reward you by putting you on the team. That sounds honestly like JV to me. It's, it mm-hmm. sounds like some high school participation trophy stuff where it's, you know, this is the NFL. Good players get cut all the time. And sometimes it's just not your fault. It's just a numbers game. That's, you know, roster math, as we talked about before. And you just get the short end of the stick. It's not the Colts don't believe in Sam Ellinger. And again, I think if he was able to clear waivers, they'd bring him right back on the practice squad. So it's not like they want to see him going or done with him. It's hmm. just a point where you are all in on trying to be a playoff team and try to win a division in 2022. And in order to win a division, it doesn't make much sense to keep a quarterback who, again, in theory, best case scenario, will not even put the uniform on come game day. Yeah, you hope not. I mean, let's be honest. If, if he's out there and he's playing, something's on horribly wrong. Uh, you know, the, the only scenario where I could see him playing in 2022 would be if Matt Ryan got like seriously injured and he was going to be out for 12 or 13 games. And maybe you just say, you know, probably the playoffs are, are out of reach anyway at this point. So let's take a look at what we've got in Sam Ellinger. That's not a situation anybody wants to see. That's not something that you really need to keep around on your roster and prepare for. So that ultimately I'm, I'm with you. I'm in lockstep with you. I, I if you're trying to go out there and win the AFC South, make as deep a run as you can in a really difficult conference this year, the third quarterback's not going to do anything to to help you accomplish those goals. And what it does is also take a roster spot away from a possible contributor. Not a starter, maybe not even a guy that's a second string, but someone who could give you maybe five, ten snaps a game. Maybe in a pinch someone goes down, he could step in and be you know, a good player to kind of hold, um, hold the line, if you will, for a game in, in a pinch. I think one of those guys the Colts could have relied on this year that I think was cut as part of a casualty in terms of keeping Sam Ellinger was Philip Lindsay. I don't know you, George. I was shocked to see that he was, you know, one of the first guys cut. I thought for sure when the Colts signed him, he was going to be, you know, the primary backup to Jonathan Taylor. He's fit similar system. He's shown productivity. He's run for over a thousand yards in the NFL. So he has experience. He has shown he can do it on an NFL stage. He has tremendous ball security. I was shocked that, you know, Phil Blinzer was one of the first guys cut from this team. How about yourself? Yeah, I was a little bit of a surprise. I, I thought there might be a chance when Deion Jackson started the third preseason game. That's really when my antenna went up, uh, simply because we knew that Jonathan Taylor wasn't playing. We knew that uh, Naheem Hines wasn't going to play in that game, and it seemed like a chance to kind of showcase Phil Lindsay. And Frank Reich kind of covered for it a little bit afterwards and said, look, you know, Lindsay had started against the Lions, and they kind of wanted to get a look at Jackson and see what's going on there. Um, I thought they keep four running backs, so I didn't really think it was a big deal. Uh, the fact that they only went to three, I get it. I get it more than I get the Ellinger thing simply because if you go back and you look at Marlon Mack last year, they couldn't get him on the field. 
you know, and that's a guy they had the utmost respect for. Uh, but the way things shook out, there just wasn't a spot for him. So I kind of understand that standpoint. I know the Deion Jackson decision is mostly about special teams, just as it was a year ago. The reason Mac was inactive is because Jackson had utility on special teams and he was that number three guy. It's surprising to me, but I think it's more surprising that, that Ellinger stuck around, if that makes sense. Session two, when you look at the work Jonathan Taylor got last year, when you look at obviously the shelf life of a running back being you know, not very long, you would think for a Colts team that you'd imagine they have long plans for Jonathan Taylor. They're not going to just kind of run him to the ground for four years and then kind of have him hit the road. So you would hope, at least in that's the case where they have a plan for him long-term outside just his short rookie contract, you'd want to you know, give him a little bit of a break. Hines is a nice changeup, but it's not exactly they run the same style. And you figure, even if you have four running backs with both Jackson and Lindsey, you can give uh, Jonathan Taylor a blow and just kind of have him just kind of take a load off here and just take take some of the heavy workload he got last year off his plate this year. I thought that was a really an opportunity for the Colts to carry four running backs. And like I said, almost preserve now one of your stars. Philip Lindsay, like I said, if he gets more than five carries a game, it's concerning. Like because we're talking about a running, you know, third or fourth running back on, on the roster. But it just kind of goes back, you know, five carry, three carries a game here, four carries a game there. Could add up to end of the season. You look at Jonathan Taylor maybe saving 50 carries, and who knows? That could give you, you know, a little extra life uh, in his leg, especially when you look at, across the division. You see Derrick Henry, you know, the Titans have run into the ground the last few years. Last year, he hurts his foot out for eight games. We'll see how he responds this year, but the Titans have not been shy about running Derrick Henry. And, you know, you just hope that you want to preserve Jonathan Taylor, make sure he's still running great at 28, 29 years old. I know it's far in the future, but one of the ways to do that then is kind of preserve his health and workload now by having extra extra running backs, which I was a little surprised. Like I said, the Colts go with three instead of four for a little extra depth at a very important position with a very important player on their team. And it goes back to what you were saying at the very opening of the show. I mean, this is exactly the scenario you were talking about. If you have Philip Lindsay still on the roster, maybe he is inactive, but if something happens, he's there. You've got him, you know, and, and he's ready to go. If you've got Sam Ellinger on the roster, it's the, the need just isn't the same. You know, there's there's no idea, there's no realistic scenario in which you're going to need him. There is a real realistic scenario in which you're going to need Lindsay. So I think it's between those two. I would choose Philip Lindsay. Um, I just think it makes more sense in terms of what what you're trying to do as a football team. I think they're going to try to take some of the touches away from Jonathan Taylor through other ways. I think they're going to try to throw the ball a little bit more this year, and that'll take some touches away. I think they are going to try to use Daheem Hines in a lot of different ways. But like you said, he's not a bell cow back. That's not what he's built to do. You know, there, there's a reason why last year the thought was the three guys there with Taylor and Hines and, and Mac would be that Mac was the guy that was actually taking a series or two away from Jonathan Taylor to, to rest those legs. And, and now who's that guy? I mean, do you feel confident with Deion Jackson in that situation? I don't know. The one thing I would kind of mention here that I that I think no one's really talked about. Hines is the hurry up guy, right? He's the mm -hmm. two minute offense. He's the guy that I can that. I think with Matt Ryan, they do want to run tempo a little more often simply because it's something he's good at, something he's really done well over the course of his career. So maybe some of that, it, it's not reason enough. I'd still take Lindsay over Ellinger. I'm not saying that. Right. But I think from a three running back standpoint, maybe there's a, a instead of having a series or two where the third running back is out there taking Taylor snaps. Maybe you've got a series or two where they're running up tempo and they've got Naheem Hines on the field. It's one thing I think that that might be part of this consideration. It's a good point, George. And like I said, if that's the case, 
okay, t- easier to, I guess, stomach three running backs than instead of four. But like I said, especially the kind of the style and the proven ability of Philip Lindsay, I was thinking it and hoping now that, you know, he would be a contributor on this team for sure. So quarterback, you know, we know the Colts are keeping three with Sam Ellinger right now in the 53-man roster. Colts going three running backs, and they do go six receivers. We know the four locks um, receiver-wise, and really the final two spots are coming down to Michael Strawn, Desmond Patton, Kiki QT. I thought after, especially after preseason game number three, George, you see Kiki um, returning punts and kind of contributing in special teams. Now kind of lock him in as a backup punt returner, maybe give Hines a blow if he's, you know, getting a lot of burn on offense that day. Well, he's the one cut. They keep Patman. They keep strong. I like it in terms of talent-wise and upside. I think you get more receiving ability and more talent and just skill with those two guys versus Kiki QT. But we have seen a, a theme with uh, Chris uh, Ballard last few years building the roster, versatility. And that was one thing QT gave you over Padman, especially over Strawn, his ability to do different things outside just receiver on special teams that the other two don't give you as much. I think there were two factors here that, that really played in Strawn and Patman's favor. I think the one is the other thing we've seen from Ballard that's been consistent is he likes receivers with size. And that's, you know, I think he's always going to take the bigger guys. And I think that's the case here. Both Patman and Strawn are big guys. Kiki's really not. Uh, I think that played into a little bit. But the other thing is, you know, it goes back to the Ellinger thing. I, this year, more than any other that I've seen, they really seem to put some some merit in preseason performance. You know, a lot of times it's almost like the games literally didn't happen and, and they almost had their mind set up before they even made a roster decision. If you look back through the games themselves, Patman and Strom were the guys that came up. They were the guys that made plays. They were the guys that, you know, Patman in particular, he was the leading receiver this preseason. So, you know, is it the right decision? I like this one a lot better than I like the quarterback situation. I know that. Um, but again, I, I do think there's a spot for QT because of that, that special teams utility. I do wonder if Dallas flowers maybe is the backup punt guy. Now, um, you know, Ashton Doolin's going to work into that mix as well, but theoretically he's got a bigger role on offense than he's had in the past. It's going to be interesting to see how those things work out. I don't know how many times I've been kind of on the edge of my seat to see who goes back to return the first punt. But it might be that way on September 11th. <laughs> Forget about Matt Ryan, how he's going to play. Forget about how the new look defense or, you know, some of the new receivers. George is big here. He's, he's really excited to see who's returning the first punt. Let's go. That's yeah. second ticket anywhere else. I got my sure. finger on the pulse right here, man. <laughs> that is for sure. I hope also, too, having, you know, we mentioned this before, Mike Strong kind of learning a lesson about maybe what it takes to truly just forget about making the roster now and get on the field. I hope with with him making the 53 and roster the second year in a row, now we see him on the field more. Now we can kind of see that preseason production happen in the regular season. I, I think this is going to, you know, you're not going to put him on the roster, I don't think, this year without him expecting him to be on the field more than the six games he was last year. Yeah, you know, and I think I didn't really talk about this a minute ago, but I think another big part about keeping these two is it, it's it's an acknowledgement that there isn't a lot of sure things with this receiving core right now. You, you know, you've got Michael Pittman. We've been talking all year about who's that next guy, who's two, who's three, you know, who's going to step up and, and, and make those catches. Well, the same is true of four and five. And I think now you, you give yourself six shots. You know what I mean? The more guys you have on that roster, the, if, if someone's not got it that day, maybe you rotate receivers a little bit more. I don't know, but it, this makes me think that maybe that's a possibility. Maybe you want to try to keep more of these guys active, especially if they have roles on special teams. 
and see if you can't get something started, you know, because it, look, if there's one consistent thing through the preseason, the receivers weren't getting open. Now, granted, a lot's going to change. Putting Jonathan Taylor out there alone is going to change the way defenses play these guys. They're going to start scheming stuff up. It's going to be a lot different than it was in the preseason, but you couldn't have been real encouraged from what you saw from that group in the three games that, that were played. Absolutely. And I said, I hope that the talent of Strawn really kind of shows out. He provides that size um, that definitely could be used, especially inside the red zone for sure. Um, we talk about a lot of, you know, not, not certainties right on this roster, especially on the offensive line depth wise, not a lot of certainties. Five guys you feel pretty good about, even though there's two new starters in Danny Pinder and Matt Pryor. But outside of them, there's a lot of question marks. We have seen, George, I think in an upset, the survival of French fries. Will Fries, Wesley French, both on the roster, both on the 53-man. French fries continues. How about that? It was huge for the pod. That was <laughs> huge. Uh, no, that was an upset. I was surprised. And honestly, the biggest surprise to me, bigger than Ellinger, Bigger than Philip Lindsay was Dennis Kelly. And I know he didn't practice, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. You know, he was out pretty much all of training camp with that injury. We don't know where he is right now with that. And maybe this is just a, a chance to give him a couple weeks to get get well. And then you're going to bring him back and work him into the mix. Maybe it's an acknowledgement of the improvement that Bernard Raymond made consistently through training camp it, as he just seemed to get better and better every time he took the field. But that one really shocked me. He's one veteran guy on that depth for the offensive line. And, you know, I, I just didn't see him getting cut today. Uh, George, I'm an optimist by heart. I, I'm an eternal optimist. I always tend to look at the bright side, especially when it comes to sports. I'm going to look at the Dennis Kelly move as more of a positive for Bernard Ryman status and the Colts saying, we feel good. Even week one, God forbid someone goes down, whether it's Pryor, whether it's Braden Smith, we feel good enough and confident enough that, you know, our rookie could step in there, play well, and hold his own. Right? We've seen him play a lot in the preseason. He's progressing. He, he's you know taking steps in the right direction. I will say for the most part, like I said, injury as well, because Dennis Kelly's belly on the practice field, I'm sure, as well, uh, having to do with the decision. I also take this as a, a strong belief that our rookie tackle, if needed, if you know, press in action, will be good enough to kind of hold down the fort here for a few minutes or a few games if uh, if need be. I think it's more fun to be optimistic, right? right. I mean, you can be pessimistic, be but it's just life's you know, too short. Exactly, and it just it doesn't lead anywhere. I also feel like we don't know. I mean, we on something like this, we'll talk to Chris Ballard on Wednesday. We may get some insight. That'll be nice. It'll be good to see. But right now, we don't know. You know, we all we're doing is taking our best guess at this point. Absolutely. So the offense is covered in terms of notable cuts, notable players who make the roster. Flip side, a little more action, a little more, you know, questions. Defensive line, Ben Banigou makes it. That was kind of one of those guys that you circle. That was kind of on the fringe. Is he going to go? Is he not? He's been with the Colts now for a while. I mean, this is his last chance, clearly. I, I think that's, you know, not going on a limb there and saying this kind of Ben Banigou's last chance to kind of make an impression. I am a little surprised he made the roster, to be honest, George. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that one, too. I think that one came down to the wide nine spot, the Leo spot. Uh, it's really what he was drafted for, which is weird because this defense didn't have that position when he came in. But when you heard them talk about what they wanted him to do, they were describing Seattle's Leo position. That's what made me think they were maybe leaning more towards a Seattle style of defense. Uh, they never really did that until obviously now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think this is this is the spot he was drafted to play. And so this is his last chance. It's his best chance. And we'll see. Uh, he's one of those guys that you, you can talk about whatever you want. You can make whatever excuses you want. It doesn't matter. At this point, you've got to go out on the field, 
and you got to make plays. It's that's the bottom line. It's that way for everybody in the NFL. But he's at that point in his career where I think this is the last year on his rookie deal. So you either got to get paid now or you're not going to be here. It's you know it's put up or shut up time. How excited are you to be watching Odengbo and Odedingbo playing next to each other? Numbers 54 and 59. When the, the four and the nine get scrunched, I've gotten fooled at least this preseason a few times. Oh, he's 59, 54. Those, those hope those binoculars are clear. You're zoomed in. There's going to be a, a lot of confusion here this year for sure, both making the team. No, no surprise, but it is going to be, uh, you know, in terms of two guys at the defensive line, couldn't be any closer name-wise. Yeah, both of these guys definitely earned it. There's no question yes. about that. Uh, I'm also definitely glad I'm not Matt Taylor and I don't have to make that call live <laughs> on the radio and then correct myself because at least I can go back and double-check the play-by-play and, yeah, you know, I got a little more time. He's got to do that live and it's hard enough just to to remember to say Odangbo and Odenigbo, let alone to you know identify the right guy in the moment. But I'll tell you, if they're both as active as they were at times in the preseason, it'll be a good problem for Matt Taylor to have. Oh, absolutely. That is for sure. Speaking of being active, right? The linebackers were active. We know Shaquille Leonard was officially removed off the pup list on Tuesday. So that's good news. We both are in agreement here, George, right? Shaquille. Well, I'll speak for myself first. I don't think Shaquille Leonard is going to play week one. I don't think he should play week one or even week two for that matter. Colts should have September 25th against the Chiefs or the following week, week four against the Titans. That should be the date circled for a Shaquille Leonard return. No reason to rush him on the field now and risk you know him coming back too soon or retweaking the ankle injury and having him linger and deal with it this year. Just get it all of last year. So take your time, but it's a great sign at least for – uh, Leonard to be activated, but by no means is that a sign. Week one in Houston, he's a lock to be there. Yeah, I think one of the underrated things during all this is from all intents and in all uh, signals that we've had so far, he's switching positions. We really haven't talked about it much because he hasn't been on the field, but he's probably going to be the Mike this year and not the Will. And I think that plays into exactly what you said. All the more reason to let him get a couple weeks under his feet, get his feet underneath him. Get him out there on the field with his teammates. Let him do it in practice. And then, you know, roll him out there when he's fully ready. It's a great point. Absolute great point, George. You're right. New position. Let him get used to it and just kind of have his feet under him by the time he does get out there, whether it is week three, whether it is week four. We had a little action trade-wise. Grant Stewart, guy we just just saw recently. Hopefully it didn't go too far and make the trip all the way down to Tampa. He just comes right back here to Indy. Colts to make a trade for him. Special teams focused, a, a linebacker from the Buccaneers. JoJo Doman does make the roster. Sterling Weatherford, uh, who, who played his ass off, played really well. Fortune did not make the, the initial 53-man roster for the Colts there. That was a, a definitely one of those positions we were going to watch going in, especially with the Shaquille Leonard injury that only magnifies that positional battle. George, you surprised JoJo Doman does kind of get the edge there and make the roster. I uh, know because I think JoJo was ahead in that battle most of the time. Uh, I think he was a guy that, except for that week that he was hurt, he was just so consistent. I mean, he showed up every practice. He was just making plays. Uh, a couple times when they weren't in pads, they had to slow him down because he was getting, he's just hitting a little too hard, a little too excited to get out there. Um, I think they love that. I mean, they're not going to come out and say it, but I think they love that. Um, it, it sucks for Sterling Rutherford. I mean, there's no question. Every year there's a guy or two that you just, your, your heart goes out to because you feel like they did everything possible to make this football team and the numbers just didn't work out for them. I wonder how much the Armani Watts injury played into all this. And people are going to say, he's a safety, you know, where does it work? This was a special teams move. Grant Stewart 
played 311 snaps last year for the Bucks on special teams. He played both postseason games for them. He's he's only 23, but he's got a lot of experience out there because of last season as a special teams guy. I think that's what this was about. And it's not, I don't think it's a knock on Weatherford. I think they just wanted to make sure they had that guy who was had done it, who had been there, because it is going to be such a young special teams unit. Not that Stewart makes it any older, but those 311 snaps are going to be very, very valuable for this group, I think. Right, especially when you lose so many key special teams contributors going into this season. Anyway, you're right. That's a unit that only got younger, and the Armani Watch signing was supposed to be kind of to be that person to bring experience. You know, a lot of special teams, um, you know, games and snaps under his belt. You lose him in, in the worst way possible in the opening kickoff of the game. You're right. That's that. Honestly, I hate to say that that injury right there, the opening kickoff, probably did cost uh, Sterling Weatherford a position because that Stewart trade, like you said, is a hundred percent special teams motivated. He's a linebacker by trade, but we'll probably rarely see him on the uh, on the field when the defense on the field. That is for sure, and no real surprises in the secondary um, for sure. So we have the 53-man roster, George, set for now. As always, plenty of players have been getting cut. Plenty of moves still to be made. A few guys still wave. A few guys, you know, still will be signed for sure. thought, you know, maybe a good exercise here could be for the next few days. What what players should Colts fans be kind of watching out for? A few familiar names out there that did not make other teams. A few familiar names, either the Gus, you know, the Gus Bradley system or played under Frank Reich. I think one name to go to right away. You mentioned his name a few times on this podcast. That's Taylor Stallworth, a guy on the interior for the Colts who's been there a while, did not make the Chiefs uh, team was cut. That's a guy you think Chris Bowers trying to make a call to or should make a call to. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I was a little bit surprised he wasn't brought back to begin with, honestly. He was one of those guys that got away this year that it kind of surprised me just because he was very productive. You know, and, and I wonder, like, you always wonder, well, scheme fit, you know, how did things change? I mean, we've talked before. First of all, this defense is a cousin of the defense they were playing. It's not a completely new system. It's not like a shocking change for everybody. But I really think in Stallworth's case in particular, they want guys right now who are active, who are penetrating. I think he's shown he's stout enough to play the run. He also has some pass rush in him. So I think he's I think he's a good fit. Now the question is, you know, I don't know why he left. I don't know where the situation stands with that if he wants to come back. Uh, but I definitely think it's it's more than worth putting the call in. Especially, too, one of the things we've been harping on, George, in the preseason has been run defense. I know you could say mm-hmm. just preseason, you know, don't take the results. And I think we started the the one of the first things you said on this podcast when it first started a few weeks ago was we're not going to overreact to the preseason. But that, you know, that theme has been there where the rush defense has struggled. And that's a guy, you know, right, seen him firsthand in Indy the last few years. He is someone who can absolutely fill that void, especially when it comes to depth of the defensive line. Big time concern as well. How about a guy, George? Matt Ryan is very familiar with. We've talked about the wide receiving core that has been, you know, very unproven and very young at times and, you know, struggled uh, in the preseason to get open and make some plays. Muhammad Sanu out there got cut, played with Matt Ryan in Atlanta for a while. Is that a guy the culture pursue? It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's 33, so there's there's always going to be questions there, but I, I think it depends on what they're looking for. If they want somebody to come in and, and be the number two guy and be highly productive, then it's not Muhammad Sanu. But if they want somebody to come in and be an assistant receivers coach, basically, you know, help these young guys through somebody who's been there, who's played with Matt Ryan, maybe has some tips for them on, you know, hey, he likes on this route, he likes you to do this. You know, he's a guy who would know that sort of thing. Uh, then I think he's a perfect fit in that regard. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what they want to do there, how, how those things shake out. Um, you never know. 
you know, I wonder if he's even a practice squad guy, potentially. I mean, you forget about they've got six spots there. They, they've opened that up a lot more. You know, maybe he's even a guy that would be willing to do something like that. That's going to be fascinating. I hope if, if so, I think the Colts absolutely should jump on that. And if not, maybe even, you know, look at a guy like maybe Desmond Patton, you know, can try to drop down and kind of slide him through waves to get him on the practice squad. Because you look to with Sunu, you're right. At his age, and really, you know, we've seen his production kind of tail off, especially once he was traded from the Falcons to the Patriots a few years ago. He's never been anywhere near the same. But you reunite with a guy, Matt Ryan, who's played with a ton. And he's a guy that, especially with the history, uh, injury history of, of Paris Campbell, you know he can't be relied upon. Maybe, hopefully, he, he proves us all wrong and is out there for 15 games and plays really well. But history has shown so far that's not been the case. So it's almost, you know, more likely than not, some sort of injury befalls Paris Campbell. Well, that's a nice little slot option there to where, again, you're not going to get 150 yards a game from Mohamed Sanu, but he does bring that veteran presence that is really missing and sorely missing from this Colts receiving core. And you give a guy, like you said, that could almost be a coach on the field or a coach at practice where he knows what Matt Ryan likes, how to run certain routes, how to read certain coverages, and just kind of get some of the younger guys up to speed faster than if he's not there and you're still kind of just learning from Matt Ryan himself and then also Reggie Wayne. Yep. No, I think that's really important. That's why I, I always look at this time of year and you kind of went through it a little bit. You, you want to see guys who play with Matt Ryan. You want to see guys who played under Frank Reich somewhere along the line guys who played under Gus Bradley somewhere along the line or guys who Chris Bauer was part of acquiring in Kansas city. I mean, those are the guys that make the most sense uh, simply because you know, that the hard ones to pick are the ones that the Colts were watching in the draft. And we maybe never knew, you know, maybe somebody got sniped from them and, and now they're, they're going to go grab them. Two more guys. I'd say both these guys are projects. They're both from Alabama. They both were, surprisingly cut in early on. We'll start with OJ Howard from the bills. He was, you know, a tight end, uh, highly rated tight end, you know, played a little bit, but kind of burst on Alabama late in his career, especially in the, uh, in the postseason. goes to Buffalo this year. Doesn't make the team. You look at the Colts tight end position, right? It's still similar to the receivers, a question mark. Morley Cox has been there, but never has been a number one guy. You can rely upon Kylan Granson, Jelani Woods, both have, you know, very little to, to no experience whatsoever. Now that OJ Howard is a game breaker, but he's athletic. He can block. He can he can catch. Is that a guy, George, the Colts maybe should take a take a flyer on, bring some experience? Or if it's just kind of the same as what they've got now, not worth it. And I think that in some ways it's it's a lot of the same arguments you make to bring in Sanu you make with Howard. He's younger. Uh, he's probably got more upside. He's definitely got more upside at this point in his career. Uh, and it's another situation with that. That tight end room is extremely young. I mean, Mo Alley Cox is, I guess, in his eighth year uh, in the NFL. I think it's like his sixth season because he was kind of on that practice squad for a couple of years and building his way up. But he doesn't have a ton of experience. You don't have Jack Doyle anymore in that room, you know, to lead it, who's been there and, and seen it all and done it all. I think bringing a veteran tight end in who has the chance to come in and OJ Howard, if nothing else, can probably come in and block and do some of the things that Jack Doyle did in, in that regard. Uh, anything else he brings to the table would be a benefit. But I think somewhere, wide receiver or tight end, it would be a really good idea to get a veteran in here who's kind of got that perspective and can kind of help these younger guys along. And finally, this one is a bit of a surprise, not just for the – not really – production-wise so far, but just more age and precedent. The Raiders on Tuesday ended up cutting Alex Leatherwood, their former first-round pick, not from like 2015 or 2016, from 2021. 
the brand new coaching staff, led by Josh McDaniels, Voldemort, decided after three preseason games and after one year on the Raiders in the NFL, he is no more. I was rocking my brain, George. First of all, I don't remember a first round pick getting cut this early for performance. You know, like not not getting in trouble, just straight out stinking. That is what happened here with Alex Leatherwood getting cut by the Raiders after just one season. Now he came out as a tackle. Probably is going to slot better in, you know, in the interior guard positions. They do have Will Fries, who's been very versatile, can kind of play, especially all three interior spots. He's a big question. Honestly, I, I probably I can't even tell you, you know, pretend like he would be a, a good fit or even know what his ceiling is. But I think just from the talent you saw at Alabama, the youth there, and the questions at depth, you know, behind the five starters. I think it's a guy that absolutely coach try to take a flyer on it. And if the price is right, try to bring him in because there's really no downside to, to bring in a guy like that. who's going to be cheap and motivated. Do you think? Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see you. You would expect him to clear waivers just because no one's going to want to pay that first round contract. Not at this point, you know, right. where, where he's at. Uh, and so after that, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see. I think one thing the Colts got going for them there is Ryan Kelly. I mean, obviously he didn't play with Alex Leatherwood, but I'm, he knows people who did, you know that, and he knows the coaches down there, and I'm sure he can get a pretty good idea of, of who he is and and whether it's worth the risk. It's nice to have a guy like that around. I know Ryan Kelly's voice carries a lot of weight already in that room anyway, and I think you go to him. If I'm Chris Ballard, you go to him and you say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And, and you kind of let him lead the way on this. It's going to be very a very busy next 24 to 48 hours, George. That is for sure. Well, the initial, the initial, that's always the key word, 53-man roster is set as cut day on Tuesday has now come and gone. We know there will be plenty of more roster moves, plenty of more shuffling for the Colts roster as we move forward. You're still the practice squad to assemble. Still guys that could sign off the streets or, or you know try to make another trade for. It's going to be very, very busy. So make sure, of course, you are liking, subscribing, downloading to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast because we will have plenty of content still coming your way. We will be back next on Friday morning. George mentioned before, Chris Ballard will be meeting with the media on Wednesday, give some answers of why certain players made the team, give some answers why certain players didn't make the team, maybe hints of some future moves as well. It's going to be very busy next you know, three days or so here. So make sure you're staying locked on and, and subscribing so you stay updated on all the latest Colts pods coming your way. But also, as well, make sure you follow it on Twitter. Because by now, between now and then, George is going to be firing off tweets, keeping you in the know. We'll be, I'll be firing off tweets as well, kind of reacting to the, the news as well. So make sure you check out George at GM Bremer on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey in the number three. We will be back Friday morning to kind of wrap up and now start to project ahead how this Colts roster matches up with the Titans, with the Jaguars, with the, uh, the Texans, and with everyone else in a very loaded AFC. 